that felt like the Jayhawks. Nick, what did you say about this song a minute ago? <laughs> that fight song is so awful. It's almost worse than the Whopper ad. I don't know if... Okay, here, my hot take is the Whopper ad song is actually good. Like, it's annoying, but it's good. Boomer Sooner is annoying, and it's bad. Because literally, it, this, this is like good. being at the game, down 25, a basket for Tanner Groves. That's all they play. Let's have like, a commercial break, and there's another annoying progressive ad, or another annoying Liberty Mutual ad, too. Uh, or the Whopper commercial again. Yeah, Just I, okay. constant jingles and bad fight songs. I like the Whopper ad to the point where I will turn up the TV when it comes on. That new progressive ad where it's like... Is, do you like it or is that just to spite your wife? Uh, I yes, saw a video is the answer. Right. Yes, both. I do kind of like it. And it's also because I think the part of the reason I like it is because everyone else dislikes it. But the song that, that new progressive ad you're talking about where the guy's like, and everything became radioactive. And now for the good news where progressive helps you save money on car insurance. Now that commercial makes me want to throw a basketball through the They're television. all bad. Yeah, the one with never the flow lady's bad. The TV yep. dad one's not very funny. It's just well, I, like how insurance companies. See, this is what insurance companies are doing. Your premiums are going sky high. And where is all your hard-earned money going? To TV ads yep. to blast them in front of the public 14,000 times per game. Yep. And if that doesn't get you into it enough, your premiums are going to rise next month without any of your doing. So uh, just enjoy getting screwed over by insurance companies while they make ads doing bath bomb commercials with Patrick Mahomes. Welcome to how capitalism works in 2023. And I'm not going to touch that too much. I looked up Whopper, Whopper, Whopper commercial. And one of the top videos is NFL serious injuries followed by the Burger King commercial compilation. Because everybody knows that that's, that's just become the song when an NFL game cuts the commercial break. But I mean, like, how could anybody dislike Whopper, Whopper, Whopper? I mean, just listen to it. Whopper, 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 that was uh, Kansas today. Jalen, what the whopper, whopper, whopper over the Boomer Sooner fight song? Oh. See what that sounds like. Uh, okay, that would probably sound like death. We will talk about the Jayhawks, I promise. Here at some point, this is inside the paint. By the way, I'm Ryan Landreth, and uh, I am Whopper hater commercial Nick Wipert. There you go. Uh, so Landon's not here today. He's at a wedding. Somebody, one of his friends, uh, held a Michigan wedding on Super Bowl Sunday weekend, which is, I mean, there's a lot of things that are arrest-worthy about that. Uh, but boy, yeah, you want to know what this sounds like? Okay, you asked for it. This is going to be painful. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all five listeners oh, just turned the podcast off at this point they yeah it's it's long long over long long over now we and this is such a good game to talk about too because kansas beats oklahoma and their stupid fight song by approximately like what it was almost 25 point final. they rolled them yeah, that was or tw- uh yeah, it felt like it. Oklahoma barely scored 36 points in this game. Great performance by the Jayhawks, uh who have we're now starting to see the cream rise to the top of the Big 12. I think it's a pretty clear 1 2 3 right now. The order of that is anyone's guess, but we there was a lot of uh of getting your ducks in a row today in the Big 12 were those teams that we weren't quite sure if they were on the level as the top three. They all took L's as a favorite, and here we are. We're getting some clarity there. Uh, All right, let's talk about uh, Kansas and Oklahoma because up next... 
The Jayhawks, I'm sure they are, but they don't even need to leave the state because up next is the Valentine's Day game at Oklahoma State. Second year in a row, the Jayhawks will be spending Valentine's Day with Mike Boynton's Cowboys, who are playing as well as anybody in this conference. So let's blow the air horn and talk about that whopper of a performance. Should I do that? Should I make the new air horn just the word whopper? Like, imagine that. Whopper. Mm. <laughs> that new air horn. Mm. No, I don't think anybody really wants that. There's a hmm that would make Landon proud in his absence. Number nine, Kansas, 78. Very much so unranked. Oklahoma. 55. Uh, yeah, that was a horrible performance by the Sooners and a really good one for the Jayhawks. And when that happens, you get a 23-point victory, one of the biggest road conference wins the Jayhawks have had in quite a while. Nick, how did we get here after 40 minutes? Yeah, it didn't start off looking like it was going to face this trajectory. Uh, Kansas started off in an absolute barn burner. They scored four points in the first eight minutes. A dominate 16-2 run, though. Uh, to end the first half, propelled them to a blowout. Over the last 32 minutes, Kansas outscored Oklahoma 74 to 45, kind of like Boy. that Missouri Elite Eight game last. Or, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, Miami. Too many M teams. Uh, there you Elite go. Game yeah. Last year, uh, earning and in this game, they earned their road conference win, uh, first one since January 7th. Yeah. So Kansas, everything about the first like 15 minutes of this absolutely sucked. Kansas looked terrible. They missed a ton of shots. They couldn't buy anything. And uh, the production truck for CBS was having problems where it looked like we were watching this on a 2016 ESPN yep. Plus broadcast for a few minutes. It's like all fuzzy they later, for a little bit. Yeah. It, and then it just randomly like went black and they fast forwarded 30 seconds as they caught up to the live higher quality broadcast. And it looked like we were going to have to watch another early Saturday afternoon tip where Kansas goes on the road against an inferior team and at minimum is in a dogfight. And we saw it happen last week in Ames where they just played dead on the road. But no, that's not what happened because Jalen Wilson led the big run at the end of the half. And it really never got close in the second half. Oklahoma got it to five by making a couple shots right out of the chute. But that was not a game that anyone was having to sweat out. I was ripping up carpet in my hallway at the under eight timeout of this half if you wanted to know how high leverage and high stressful of a game that it was. A really good performance by the Jayhawks. Uh, what would you have been told when they? you knew that they were two for 14 to start and everybody was rolling around dying for the Whopper Whopper commercial because that was better to watch than this. Uh, what would you have said had you known that Kansas would shoot 67% over the last 32 minutes? Uh, I don't know. That's pretty crazy. You would have said that was a of a performance, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, who impressed you the most in this game? Uh, I, two guys. I think the the guy that impressed me the most in this game was Ernest Uda. Uh, I think the second yep. is Dewan Harris because Dewan Harris. I mean, if this was Dewan Harris's first breakout game, which it wasn't, maybe I would said him because he had another whopper performance, but. It was the emergence of Ernest Yuda, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, a, a very Yudoka Azubuki-like big that has been sitting on the bench on his butt, chained to the bench uh, for, for the past three months. So, uh, Bill, I want you to explain that one. Yeah, and you mean freshman Yudoka Azubuki, not like player of the yeah, year. Yeah, raw, raw Yudoka Azubuki. Right. Like, just picked up the basketball for the first two years at, at Yudoka Azubuki. 
where everything he did was either a dunk or a rebound or a foul. And that's, yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to know. One of the bigger mysteries, you know, everybody talks about what if Trey Burke shot missed and what if Joel Embiid never gets hurt and all like the what ifs in the Bill Self era. But I think maybe the worst or one of the most underrated uh, what ifs in the Bill Self era is what if Udo Kazabuki never gets hurt as a freshman? That team wound up losing to Oregon. They didn't need Udo Kazabuki. They were very good. They were number one going into the Big 12 tournament that year. Uh, but with, even without Udo Kazabuki, they were great. But what happened if he? What happens if he was there? Because remember, he was starting around the time that he got hurt and went down for the year. And the impact that he could have made in an Oregon game where you got shredded by Jordan Bell, a big that you didn't have an answer for, who knows how that could have happened. Maybe that won't happen to Kansas this year because you're looking at a guy in Ernest Uday who definitely is playing like a freshman doke. So, yes, we're going to talk about him. The, the overall game flow, like I was I was driving around listening to a couple of our recent shows and I was thinking like we do a good job analyzing the players, but I wonder if we need to just talk about the game more. I don't really think that, but I was wondering maybe that's something that what if we did more? I don't really even know what to say about this game though because Kansas was just so much better than a team that almost beat them last month at Allen Fieldhouse. Clearly, you had a very focused squad. With the exception of the Iowa State game, we've seen a lot of things over the last few weeks that we clearly like about Kansas. They've won four or five now since that three-game losing streak, playing great basketball, winning games against teams that would all be in the NCAA tournament, maybe not Oklahoma, but they're all quad one wins. A win at Oklahoma is a quad one win. Uh, so yeah, very impressive performance by Kansas. And speaking of very impressive things, something you and I have never seen is a Jayhawk team that failed to win 20 games. That streak continues after this win. Yeah, for uh, much of our adults, our parents' lives, they haven't seen that either. 34 straight seasons with 20-plus wins for KU. Self is 20 for 20. Uh, before that, Roy Williams was 14 for 14 in his 14 out of 15 years. Remember, 89 was the bad year uh, at KU right after the national championship where they didn't win 20 games. But since then, Roy Williams and Bill Self have uh, won 34 straight seasons with 20 wins, and that's psychotic. That is absolutely insane because unless you were Baylor or Gonzaga, just about everybody else's dream of getting a 20 wins in that COVID year was impossible. And that's the one that knocked Duke out. That's the one that knocked Kentucky out, even though Kentucky is, is going to struggle to get there this year. Yes, 20 wins is by no stretch a landmark for a great season in Kansas basketball. But it is a great landmark around the country because we're looking at like K-State's got 19 wins and they're having one of the best years that they've had in modern history. 20 wins is great, but the consistency to do it 34 straight times in a one-and-done era, changing coaches, changing players, they flipped the starting five, I don't know how many times in that run. Yeah, Bill Self, 20 for 20. And when you look around at the Blue Bloods, Duke took another L today. North Carolina's on the bubble. Kentucky's on the wrong side of the bubble. Indiana and UCLA both hadn't been great over the course of Self's tenure. Kansas is kind of the only Blue Blood that has been truly Blue Blood caliber consistent. And whenever you have 20 straight wins of at least 20, or 20 straight seasons of at least 20 wins, which Bill Self does, that is remarkable consistency. All right, Kansas, consistency. Speaking of, maybe their most important player, because when he's consistently good, the team just flat out doesn't lose. That would be Dewan Harris. 19-0 now Kansas is when Dewan Harris scores at least 10 points. Tell me about today's game, which added to that total. Yeah, another big stat line for him. 16 points on 7 for 11 from the floor. Adds an additional 3 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 steals in a total of 34 minutes. 
excuse me, he kept them in the game early when everyone else was struggling. Finished his week, 33 points, 8 assists, 7 steals, and 2 games. If you would have told us last year that DeWan Harris would score 33 points in 2 games, uh, we'd say, we'd ask him if they were playing the Washington Generals. Or if each game went into six overtimes, yeah. Because DeWan Harris, obviously, not a scorer for most of his career until this year. We said on the preseason podcast, if DeWan Harris can just get to eight points a game, he was about five last year, if he can get to eight or nine points per game, how much better he's going to be and how much better Kansas is going to be. And he's been better than that over conference play. That slump that was going on a week ago really seems like a distant memory after the week he had. I think he should be Big 12 Player of the Week. We'll see if he ends up winning it. Why is it, you think? You watch all these games. What's your your take? Why is Kansas so much better when Dewan Harris puts up a healthy amount of points? It's the, the simple truth is they have another scoring option. Uh, a couple of these podcasts and shows we've done when they've lost on the road, particularly, you know, they, or even at home, the TCU game, glaring issues. One, in those games, a lot of the times the other team was shooting the ball. And uh, Bill Self made a point in his postgame presser to say, you know, this team has had to win games particularly because of their defense, because sometimes the offense has not been able to counteract what other Big 12 teams have been able to do, especially when they get up for games against Kansas. But what we've seen in the past two games from Dewan Harris is a completely new scoring option that was not there previously. Earlier, you were just looking at, well, what is Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson going to be doing for us? And then Jalen Wilson scores two points in the last game, which the regression was due to happen after that fabulous five-game stretch he had. Um, but then that happens, and then you actually have Dewan Harris stepping up and, and lightening the load for this team uh, when they need a true score. So I think what it does is it spreads the floor a little bit more too when you have uh, for what for enti- his entire career at Kansas, there has been no pressure on him when he's behind the three-point line. More, m- much very little pressure at all, even when he's driving to the basket and getting those driving lanes, which is a big reason why he's able to drive and get some, so many layups. Um, but when that scoring option is available, you're looking at four guys out of the, the starting lineup now who are, can, can be consistent and reliable scorers if they're actually shooting the ball. And I think that's a huge deal for a team that's going to need scoring when they face some teams like you know Texas and the likes of Baylor um, who are going to push the floor a little bit and match their transition offense. Um, and just be overall, you know, overall good shooting team. So I think Dewan Harris, as we've learned as well, is, is a fine shooter. He had a cold stretch a couple games ago where he couldn't make anything from three. But his bread and butter is driving to the basket and getting those high percentage layups and, and shots up against the rim. So uh, I think that that's going to bode well for him. And I think finally he's just getting a little bit more comfortable taking the shots that he needs to take. Bill Suff's finally, I think, getting it instilled in him that that needs to happen. And I think Kansas's ceiling dr- drastically increases with this addition as well. Yeah, you're right. And you mentioned that whenever they play teams like Texas and Baylor, that you're going to see the pace get upped. Well, DeWan Harris didn't really look to score in Waco, and they struggled to score as an offense despite Grady Dick playing really well and Jalen Wilson playing really well. Well, then look what happened against Texas. Granted, it was at home, uh, but whenever you have uh, DeWan Harris looking to score, Jalen Wilson didn't play well in that game, and Grady Dick uh, was, was not... His, his main weapon wasn't going down, which was the three-point shot, and Kansas still hung 88 on Texas. When DeWan Harris looks to score, I don't think there's a faster player on this team. I don't think there's anybody who is quicker in transition than DeWan Harris is, and what a difference that made in the early stages of this game when Kansas could not get anything going, and DeWan Harris was turning defense into offense. He normally is so great at creating opportunities for other people. We saw Jalen Wilson have a nice assist to him, creating an opportunity for 
for Harris to score. Harris isn't going to average, you know, however many shots he's taking. He's averaging 14 shots a game this week. He's averaging 17 points a game this week. He's not going to average that the rest of the year. But can he take 10 shots a game? If he does, he's a good enough shooter and a good enough scorer, and he's a good enough free throw shooter should he get fouled, that I think that Kansas's ceiling gets raised tremendously. They're going to have games when Grady Dick doesn't play well. He's a freshman. They're going to have games when Kevin McCullough doesn't shoot well. He's just not that kind of player. But Dewan Harris is the glue that holds it all together. You can overcome those guys not playing well. Hell, we saw them overcome Jalen Wilson not playing well if Dewan Harris has given you a quality performance. When Harris isn't playing well, it gets the entire DNA of the team way, way out of sync. And I think that's one of the most important things for Kansas entering the tournament. Can they get a healthy stretch of games from Dewan Harris? Uh, something that Kansas did pick up, thanks to Dewan Harris, was back-to-back -back wins in Norman. This had not happened in six years since 2016 and 2017. Uh, they've been worse than their, or they've been worse in Norman than they have in Stillwater as of late. But it was nice to see them pick up an easy win, their first one in over a decade. Is is Oklahoma the worst environment in the Big 12? Uh, TCU. TCU is the worst fan environment. That arena is horrible, though. Like you look at like, you got the old like ceiling tiles in that arena and it just looks like trash the seating looks like trash it's like that that bull look and then they have no fans there and there's no environment it's a, it's a horrible 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 arena See, I kind of like the court in certain matchups, but when TCU wears those white uniforms that are just like the court just and then you throw in like a like a blue Kansas jersey or an orange Oklahoma State jersey, it doesn't work. TCU's fans, I feel like, are better than Oklahoma fans. Though. When's the last I was talking time you about Oklahoma's arena just then. Sorry. I was talking about the Lloyd Noble Center, but TCU's is just as bad. Okay, okay. I was going to say, that makes more sense. Because the Lloyd Noble Center, I cannot ever remember watching a game thinking, wow, this place is loud. Even on some of the great Buddy Heald teams that were in the top yeah. five, it never felt like Oklahoma was a powerhouse. Their fans do not care about basketball. Yeah, and I guess then people say the same about Kansas fans not caring about football until the team got good, and that's yeah, that's that seems fair considering the way it is. But yeah, watching that game, that just felt like a snooze. Throw in the early tip off, and yeah, it was it was a it was a complete snooze. All right, tell me about uh, Jalen Wilson, who played really well. Didn't play well last time. Good to see him bounce back. Uh, Jalen Wilson was not on the snooze button as he was last game. He, he was scoreless for the first 15 minutes in this game, uh, but he did score 10 minutes over the last five minutes of the first half, including two threes in the final minute that built Kansas' 13-point lead into the locker room. He finished with 18 points total, 7 for 17 from the floor, 3 for 4 on threes, added 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 steals. Uh, it looks like as many slumps over. Yeah, and that's how you know he's a great player because he was not playing well in the first few minutes of this game. Despite having a couple of assists and making some nice defensive plays that helped Kansas turn that tide, wasn't scoring. Then boom, blink, you blink and he scores 10. That's what the good ones do. That's what the great ones do. And the fact that he led Kansas in scoring in this game, despite being so invisible from a scoring perspective for so long, that tells you just how good he is. He turned into a monster down the stretch of that first half. That helped them grab a stranglehold on this game. The second three he hit right in front of Porter Moser was an absolute bomb. We've seen those type of plays work against Kansas in conference play where somebody is drained in NBA range three right at the end of the half. Well, today it was Kansas that was able to get that uh, on, their on their side, and it was awesome to see. Uh, Jalen Wilson probably gets the short end of the stick from us. He's been so 
so good. And whenever you're this good and this consistent, there just really isn't a lot to analyze here. He can always be expected to score 15 to 20 points, sometimes more if you need it. He's clutch. He's a leader. He's smart. He's great on the defensive end. There's just really nothing bad to say about Jalen Wilson. He's having one of the greatest seasons that any player has had in the Bill Self era, which is a tremendous uh, just a tremendous thing to be able to say about someone. Uh, the, tell me about the turnovers, because holy God, that was awful. Yeah, Oklahoma turned the ball over 24 times, throwing Kansas 16, and you get 40 turnovers in 40 minutes. So when there weren't 45,000 40 minutes, you got the turnovers instead, because, it, of course, in a Big 12 basketball game. Uh, and, of course, it happens in the one night the refs, yeah, as Ryan said, don't suck. Yeah, the, the one time the refs don't suck, Ass. you get this atrocity of a turnover fest. Kansas had a plenty of them themselves, and they weren't even close to having the most in this game. Yeah, that was that was gross. All right, let's talk about your man, Ernest Uday here, because he was terrific. Eight points for Ernest on four for four from the floor, all four of those baskets being not just dunks, but monster dunks, um, and four rebounds, which were all in the first half, two steals, two blocks, 17 minutes starting to play more, Give me a monologue here. Does Kansas finally have this backup big situation a little more figured out? Yeah. Uh, Ernest, uh, his numbers, eight points, four for four from the floor, like you said. Uh, two steals, two blocks in 17 minutes. He is uh, just, I think, just exactly what this team needs. We were just left with with just question marks of what Zuby Ejiofor was going to do. He was never great. Uh, we saw flashes of, of Ernest Uda in the Thanksgiving mid mid uh, mid season tournament they had uh, that that showed signs of that you know this guy is going to be great at Kansas and I think that finally they're just the the way Bill Self calls plays out of you know uh, out of the the baseline and out of timeouts perfect for him all of his baskets were slam dunks um, this guy is a rim uh, monster um, and I think Kansas needs that desperately because that high percentage shot. Um, you're talking about Dewan Harris getting layups being a high percentage shot. Nothing's gonna be higher than this guy who has like a eight foot wingspan jumping up over the ba- over the basket when you have very disciplined uh, passers like Dewan Harris and guys like Jalen Wilson. So I think this is definitely a piece that is gonna come to a, a, be a huge advantage for Kansas going down the stretch and uh, just getting him more play time and getting him more comfortable in the game. Man, defensively too in this game he was so good. Um, just he was deflecting a everything. Uh, he said the blocks, you know, diving after loose balls. This guy's insane. Yeah, Ernest Uday picked the pocket of Cortez, the backup Oklahoma point guard, and almost had a transition layup and kind of fumbled it off his knee. He's not used to running that fast with the basketball, uh, but he was so active in this game. And I think the thing that's weird about Ernest is we've had many conversations about many different players over our run on this show about why didn't Bill Self play player X more. But Ernest Uday, it never made any damn sense. Ernest Uday, as you said, was good in the Thanksgiving week tournament. He played well against Tennessee in a game Kansas looked awful. He was the only big that looked like he could hold his own against those trees that the Tennessee front court is filled with. And then Bill Self just inexplicably didn't play him for like seven or eight straight games. He got three minutes over like a seven-game sample size in Big 12 play. I'm glad he's playing better. He's definitely emerging. But acting like the, the, some of the people on Twitter are like, wow, look at Ernest Uday go. Yeah, he was good. Like, he should have been playing more than this. And he yeah. looks great. This is exactly what Kansas needs. They need bench production. They need a backup big. We talked about it. K.J. Adams has had a great year. He's one of the most improved players in this conference. But they need a guy that's a legitimate 6'10 plus size that can go out there and get you a few boards when K.J. Adams' matchup isn't happening. 
Uday showed that off in the first half, and he showed the offense in the second half. It was a great performance. What do you do here, though? Let's look at next year. Ernest Uday clearly is on his way to being, a, a, I think he's on pace to be a very good center in, for this Kansas team as early as next year in a starting role. But you also have KJ Adams. Are they going to move KJ to the four where he's still a little undersized? Or, like, how do you anticipate this I shaping think that up lineup is. I think that will shape up like that. I think that lineup would be right back to Bill Self's roots. Roll the tape on the 1956 Final Four ringtone because Bill Self... Imagine the amount of high he gets from thinking about two bigs just taking it into the paint every possession. I know that that's the case, but I think for that to work in this year's version of college basketball, I think KJ Adams has to develop a three-point. It's shot. working for Purdue. I, Does Zach yeah, have a three-point shot? No, but Zach doesn't play the four. If KJ Adams is going to play the four, I think he's got to be able to be more versatile. I think defensively it works. Defensively, he can guard anybody. He can, he's guarding fives right now. Four should be a cinch for him with his athleticism. We saw him stay in front of Grant Sherfield, who's one of the fastest players in the Big 12, all night today. But I think for that offense to What's work... What's your concern with unless, him playing the four then? Like offensively? Yeah, I think that you're going to get a lot of log jams in the basket because Ernest Uday's never leaving the paint. And if K.J. Adams really doesn't offer you a whole lot outside of the paint either, I think that the offense may stall. Especially, Well, I mean, then if it depends on who's on the perimeter. If you get two Kevin McCullers out there who can't shoot, yeah, that team's going to struggle. MJ Rice, probably. If, yeah, yeah, and MJ Rice, if he doesn't transfer, is probably your three. And I don't know if MJ Rice shoots the ball well enough for that. Uh, I, but I agree with you. I think that's probably going to be what takes place. Ernest Uday cannot be brought off the bench much longer in his career. He's going to this year. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right move with how much better he's playing than he was earlier this yeah. year. Uh, Kevin McCuller here, he had another quality performance. 13 points, 5 assists, and 3 steals for McCuller. He, he is more so than just about any player I've covered. You don't realize he's got 13 and 6, and you look down, and yeah. oh, he's got 13 and 5. Uh, yeah. Four for eight from the floor. So he didn't shoot the ball that much, and he still was quality 13 points in this game. Uh, anything really to say about McCuller? I kind of put his stats with Grady Dick because there isn't a lot to say about either one of them. McCuller did his usual miss a three by almost everything early and then made a couple shots. Yeah, late. still can't that shoot just needs three. to go away. That needs to go away. He just, I mean, I think Kansas' shot selection has gotten a lot better as of recently. But the man, the, the three pointers from Kevin McCuller, the 17 foot jump shot from KJ Adams get a little bit closer to the basket. I mean, that's just not your bread and butter. And I think Kansas has been successful because they've found the shot making and shot selection that works for them, which, uh, which like Bill Self said in his postgame presser today, they don't need the three pointers. They only, they only made what five, three pointers today. They don't need that. They can get the production they need in the paint. And I, that's weird of me saying that because I'm the biggest NATO offensive minded schemed person I can think of, but it's pretty clear that Kevin McCuller needs to just stop shooting the three. Yeah, Kevin McCuller was shooting 26% on threes in conference play entering this game. 0 for 2 is going to drop that even further. Uh, now shooting, what is he in conference play this year? 7 for 29. So 24% shooting threes in conference play for Kansas. Uh, and this is a familiar trend for him. He had always been about a 32% three-point shooter, but in conference play last year for Texas Tech, 23%. The year before that for Texas Tech, 29%. So he always has kind of inflated his uh, three-point shooting numbers a little bit with the weaker non-conference 
non-conference schedules Texas Tech would put together. Uh, and that's a problem. Kansas is going to need him to be better than this. There will be a game in the tournament where Kansas is going to need Kevin McCord to knock down a couple threes. We've seen him do it on uh, on rare occasions this year in clutch time, but we need to see that more consistently from him. He's a great rebounder. He's probably their second-best rebounder after Jalen Wilson. Uh, he's a pretty good free-throw shooter, shooting over 75% at the line. And he's been better from two in the last few games. Uh, but I think that the, I think that that's a part of his game that they are going to need more than they're getting from if they're going to go further. I also think they're going to need more than that from Grady Dick. Really not a lot of stat rating to do here. Eight points, four or five from the floor for Grady, which was quiet. Uh, he did have a thunderous dunk that really kind of broke it open in the second half and eliminated any hope of an Oklahoma comeback. But very quiet for him. Five shots in 34 minutes does not seem like enough, does it? No. Like, I I would love Grady Dick to take 10 threes a game. There is something going on where he's just not. He has not taken more than five threes in a game since just Kansas never State. They're face yeah, guarding him on every possession. Yeah, that's not helping. But also, I think semi-contested looks from Grady Dick are the answer uh, more often than some of the other plays. Not a whole lot to talk about in this game with it because they still scored 78 points whenever he took five shots. I think that also has more to do with the opponent they were playing than the fact that they can do just fine without him. Okay, let's talk about Porter Mosier because I have con- I have I am officially giving up on Oklahoma. I've held on to hope for them for a while, and they're now two and ten. They've lost seven straight Big Twelve games. They're horrible. Why, Porter Mosier? Like, what in the world is wrong with this team? There is talent on this roster. They should not be twelve and thirteen on the year. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, but I, I, it is conf- it's perplexing because t- I don't recall this team being that bad last year, and they had a lot of the same pieces. Grant Sherfield's obviously their bright spot, but Tanner Groves isn't very good. Jacob Groves isn't very good. I mean, they just a lot of like a lot. Just I, I don't know if it's a coaching thing, but they're just like the turnovers and the dumb mistakes, dribbling the ball out of bounds, or um, just horrible shot selection. I think it does fall on Porter Mosier a little bit, but this team is not very good. No, they're not, because last year's team, remember, they almost made the tournament. They upset Baylor in the Big 12 tournament. Then they almost beat Texas Tech in the Big 12 semifinals. That loss wound up keeping them out. But they were a quality team last year. They were. Um, And then whenever you look at what's happened this year, they add Sherfield, who's been great, averaging 17 points a game, shooting 43% on threes. Tanner Groves has gone from 12 points to 10 points. Jacob Groves hasn't taken that step forward. Jalen Hill gone from nine points to nine points. They're just not as good. Nobody on this team has gotten better. And I think that's got to be pretty frustrating. The Groves brothers, we saw Tanner Groves, who we're going to talk about. We saw Tanner Groves at his absolute best. And he transferred to a Power 5 school pretty much because of that one game that really put him on the map against Kansas. And this just may be an example of a guy that it shows how much tougher the Big 12 is than Eastern Washington's conference. Because he just hasn't been very good throughout his Oklahoma career. Definitely not what they were expecting. He averaged about 17 points a game uh, in in his last year at Eastern Washington. And then last year down to 12 at OU and this year down to just 10. Tell me about those Groves brothers because I am enjoying what pending a Big 12 tournament meetup uh, with like nine seed Oklahoma. We're done forever with the Groves brothers. Ryan, uh, do you think I want you, uh, just not knowing this stat already? Do you think that Tanner Groves and Jacob Groves combined have scored more points in their five meetings or four meetings since getting to Oklahoma than their one game in, against uh, Eastern Washington in the big in the NCAA tournament? 
You think what, which of the, the four or the one? It definitely feels, and yes, you're right. I do know the stat. Um, that game right. was so apocalyptic. Whenever they were making those threes, they could play Kansas ten times, and I don't think they'd score as much. They obviously would, but it wouldn't feel like it's as much as the the Eastern Washington game. But I'm going In to that tournament game. Without, yeah, yeah. Tell me. 58 points between the two of them, 9 for 16 on threes. Like you said, the white the white oh guy began. Uh, In the four games since, 52 points, 5 for 22 from three. Trash. Yeah. And four of those were in the one game last year when they came into Allen and uh, Mitch Lightfoot got sucked out into no man's land and Groves Tanner made four threes. Uh, so they all came in one game, basically. Jacob made the other one today on garbage time. Yeah, I and we we've said this before. I have seen a lot of white guys making threes against Kansas. We all have. We have seen the 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 lousy shooters just go nuclear for a game and then we move on because that's what happens. But I don't think I have ever been in as poor of a mental state watching that happen than I was in that first half when Tanner and Jacob Groves as a 14 seed were just Steph currying their way to nine damn threes in one game. And somehow they lost. Somehow Kansas overcame 58 bleeping points from the Groves brothers. And they transferred to the conference and were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the most miserable two years ever. And no, no problem at all. Kansas 5-0 and against the Groves brothers, four at Oklahoma in that one game. Is that the all-timiest white guy? I think it's more actually now than it was then because now we have evidence that these guys suck. They're not any good. And that one game, they were just unbelievable. Is that the white guyest thing that ever happened to Kansas? Yes. That was that was an unbelievable performance. Uh, all right, tell me about KJ Adams. Let's uh, let's put a bow on some of these last few names. Yeah, KJ Adams, ten points, three point rebounds, five for six from the floor, in twenty one minutes because of foul trouble. Uh, as you said, Ernest complimented him well. We saw Zuby edge of four again on the court at the very end, so it does not seem like a very dire injury situation for him. Yep, that's better. Good to see because Kansas needs more than eight players. Uh, the the eight guys that they had against Texas were all they used today until the walk-ons got in the game. And we saw Zuby get off, get a little bit of the rust off. Uh, other bench pieces, Joe Yesifu shot four times in nine minutes and didn't score. He was bad. They didn't need it, but still. He did have three assists, which was good. MJ Rice, two points, four rebounds in 14 minutes. He was in and out of the game every time he would make a defensive mistake and boy his defense is not good right now uh so that's why he wasn't playing very much but it was nice to see uh him get those second half minutes they didn't really need it but the bench did give some quality production they need a guard which they're going to get pettiford back soon and yes who's been solid more often than he hasn't in relief but if furnace dude is going to give him the minutes that he's got uh then you got to feel pretty good about the bench because it's not like you're gonna have a whole bunch more than you have right now uh, 55% from the floor, 50% from three, uh, and just 50% at the line for Kansas. They missed two front end of the one-on-ones and were only 7-14. They were also minus five on the glass, though a lot of that had to do with Oklahoma missing so many shots that they got back a handful of their misses. 24 turnovers forced. Overall, a really good game from the Jayhawks, their most complete road effort of the year. I know West Virginia and Oklahoma aren't very good, but that's two handily road wins that Kansas has gotten this year. Uh, and they're they're climbing up in the conference now, eight and four, six games left. Clearly look like one of the three best teams in the conference. Any closing thoughts from this game? 
I think that that was it was a great game, and it's good to see that other guys are contributing now. And I think this team is gonna be hard to beat when you have those scoring options. Yep, when Dewan Harris is good, they are really, really, really good. 19-0 when he scores at least 10 points, and that is, you have enough data at this point to know that is definite evidence on something. Good win by the Jayhawks, too. To win a game in a road arena that, I keep saying this, they've only won two Big 12 games and they're against crappy teams. I think Oklahoma's going to get somebody over these last six games. I think they're going to they're gonna take somebody down. K-State going in there here, and I think up next could very well happen. Uh, but yeah, I think that it was a good win for the Jayhawks and a place that not everybody is going to pick up a win. Big 12 games. Well, we said at the beginning of the show that this was a weekend where we saw the, the best teams the Big 12 has to offer kind of rose to the top a little bit. Kansas looked great. Texas and Baylor both looked great. And the mediocre standings in the Big 12, the teams in the four, five, six, seven range, still very good teams, but we're starting to see that they may not have the horses to hang in there with the big three over an 18-game stretch. Good example here. Number five, Texas, 94. West Virginia, 60. I think that's the biggest blowout that has happened in any Big 12 game by any team this season. And, uh, wow, West Virginia ran into a buzzsaw. Tell me about it. Yeah, a dominant showing by the Longhorns, who got 24 points from Sir Jabari Rice off the bench and another 16 from Marcus Carr. The Longhorns made 30 baskets and shot 24 of 25 at the free throw line. They also forced 20 turnovers. Yeah, Texas, a great win for them. Uh, they they bounced back nicely from the loss in Lawrence. Six games left for the Longhorns, who are in first place outright at 9-3. and three. At Texas Tech, obviously tied for last place, but a bitter rival. Oklahoma at home, Iowa State at home. That should be two wins. At Baylor and at TCU, hello. And then Kansas to end the year. I think there's two losses in there for Texas. I think Texas goes four and two over the last six games, which would put them at 13 and five. Can Kansas get to uh, can Kansas get to 13 and five? They would need to go seven and one uh, in order to get there. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's two losses in there. That would yeah 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 that would put them at 13 and five and Kansas would then need to go seven and one to get to 13 and five and considering how Kansas is playing right now I think that should be the expectation West Virginia they're gonna be they're gonna be that deciding factor if a Big 12 team gets an an A team in the tournament I think they will they're safely in right now but eventually these losses are gonna really add up just not a good performance uh, here this speaking of not good performances Oklahoma State 64. Number 11, Iowa State, 56. Nick, something that we're starting to see becoming a trend are the Cowboys winning in Ames. Yeah, three straight years for that. Seven of eight overall. 19 points from John Michael right in this game. The Cowboys outscored the Cyclones by 14 in the second half. Iowa State, nine for 19 from the line. Who's the better team? Iowa State, I think. I agree, and Avery Anderson's been out three games, so that's not going to help. By the way, the the seven of eight that you said about Oklahoma State, not in Ames as far as just overall. They have won seven of their last eight overall basketball games, playing as well as anyone in the Big 12. Not an easy matchup at all for Kansas here on Tuesday night. Uh, Moussa Cisse, who's obviously their seven-footer, has only played in eight Big 12 games, and they've won seven of them. The one they lost was the narrow loss at Allen Fieldhouse. Is Oklahoma State, who is a safe tournament team, where are they going to be seated? How dangerous do you think this Cowboys team is? I think they'll be a, a solid 10 seed. 
Yeah, they feel like a 9 or a 10 or something right now. But, I mean, geez, if you're a one-seed Arizona or a one-seed, you know, uh, who else could be the one-seeds? Purdue, I guess. Is this really? Oklahoma State would be like the third-best team in the Big Ten. Purdue's going to get someone like that in the second game? That's that's not easy. Texas Tech, and as for Iowa State, uh, I, this is what I had been waiting on for Iowa State for a while. I thought they would have a 3 out of 5 or a 4 out of 6. Well, they're in the midst of it. Too bad that Kansas couldn't get them last week for one of them. Texas Tech, 71. Number 12, Kansas State, 63. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, if I got one thing right, it was that Kansas State was going to slide eventually. Well, this Kansas State team has gone you also from 4 Texas, to You also picked Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, I thought that this was relatively easy to see coming. Texas Tech is not 1-10 bad. They were always in that environment. They've only lost twice at home this year. They are better than what they have shown in these, and, and I think that you're going to see this team over their last six games bring that record up and be more respectable. They're better than OU. In this game, back-to-back -back wins over top 15 teams at home for the Red Raiders, obviously that big comeback against Iowa State being the other, you know how some teams get to play Cal or Louisville when they play the last place team in their league, someone who's 3-20? and 20? Well, in the Big 12, you get Texas Tech, who wins 90% of their home games the last three years and is tough as hell. Like, this this isn't even a bad loss for K-State. How good is the no. Big 12? The 1-10 team is a quadrant one loss when you lose to them. Yeah, that's insane. 20 points for Davion Harmon. Kansas State shot just 35% from the floor. There's one thing the Red Raiders have done. It's made their teams, made their uh, made their opponents play ugly, and it happened here. Marquise Noel missed 14 shots and had seven turnovers. All right, hype man, you've been really high on K-State. They've now lost, uh, what is that? They've lost five of their last eight conference games after starting 4-0. Um, is this, uh, are, are they taking on some water, or is this just Big 12 going to Big 12? I think it's a lot like the Kansas streak. I don't think you can say now that now looking back, Kansas is a bad team or Kansas is, is falling off the train tracks. They just had a tough little stretch there where they lost, you know, those four games. So I think K-State, the DNA of this team, they're still a good offensive team. and They're good defensively most of the time. So I don't think that's going to be a huge issue for them. I can see them hitting another win streak after that loss. Here's the thing with K-State. They have never been in this spot before. Rookie coach Marquise Noel has been on nothing but losing teams. Keontae Johnson hasn't played in several years. I don't know how that team can be expected to keep up with Baylor, who just won a national title. Kansas, who just won a national title. Texas has, has players that were in a conference race last year. I think eventually the floor was always going to fall out on K-State. They do have a talented roster. They've overachieved to a tremendous degree this year. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if this team collapses a little bit and ends like 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8 and eight or something like that. Which, obviously, considering where the season started, that would be a great record. But they were 4-0, and oh, and at one point they were 18-3 and three overall. It would be disappointing for them to slump their way to finishing like 6th in the Big 12. And then the uh, probably the best game of the day, and it lived up to the hype. Number 14, Baylor, 72. Num oh, gosh, I'm going to cough. <coughs> kind of like choking, like TCU there. Number 17, TCU, 68. Oh, so close. Uh, tell me about how the Bears have roared back from 0-3 to being a player in the conference. Down 56-46 to 46 with nine minutes left. It turned to the Adam Flagler show. He had 28 points in this one. Baylor gets revenge on TCU for the game in Waco. 
earlier this year. LJ Cryer had 23. TCU now lost 7 of 11 since starting 2-0 in league play. Grandin Mike Miles has been out in the last four of them. And the Teal team was just 2 for 10 on threes. Ryan, surely, surely TCU was just 2 for 10 on threes when they came into Allen Fieldhouse, right? Oh, right, yeah. Right? Let me uh, let me look this up real quick here. Uh, t- what, hey, Alexa, what did TCU shoot on threes in the game at Allen <laughs> That was my hopes and dreams crumbling. Um, if you want the actual factoid in that game, because I'm sure you're dying to revisit that game, TCU was 8 for 15 from three. One of the 20 worst three-point shooting teams in the Big 12, who I don't think has made eight threes in their last three combined games, made eight in that game, uh, including like five of their first seven in the first 10 minutes. It was awful. TCU makes me sad because I thought this team would finish second in the Big 12. They haven't had much of a chance with the injury problems. We saw how good they can be at full strength uh, whenever Mike Miles and his gang came into Allen Fieldhouse. Just don't have the horses to keep up uh, whenever you have that kind of injury luck with the teams in this conference. And Baylor, Baylor could very easily be like three games in first or in front of Kansas in this conference. They lost in overtime to uh, to Kansas State, barely. They lost in the final five seconds on a jump shot to TCU. So you flip those, and Baylor would be, what, like 10-2 and two right now? They, and also, props to us. We said at the beginning of the year, Baylor was due to not have that success because it's just so hard to consistently have a crazy good record like they had the last few years in games that are that close. However, that's part of the reason. Baylor is 8-4 and four right now, and it feels like they've underachieved from a record perspective. That's a good, talented roster there. College game day coming to Lawrence next Saturday when the Bears will play Kansas. How good is the parity in this conference? The top three teams we think are pretty clear. Texas, Kansas, and Baylor. Texas still has to go to Baylor. Baylor still has to go to Kansas. And Kansas still has to go to Texas. Hold on to your butts. It's going to be a wild one. Big 12 standing. Still in first by themselves at the two-third point. Texas, they're 9-3. and three. In second place, the preseason number one and number two teams in the conference, respectively Kansas and Baylor at 9-8-4. and eight and four. In fourth place, you have... It feels like everybody else. Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. Look at the three states. They're all tied at 7-5. and five. Hello, Oklahoma State. Welcome to that club. TCU is now all alone in seventh place at 6-6. Six and six. The fact that TCU, who won by 23 at Allen Fieldhouse, is in seventh place. And I get it, because they wouldn't be in seventh place if Mike Miles was healthy. But that's just, that's preposterous. That is nuts. You're going to have the eighth seed in the Big 12 tournament is going to be, the the eighth team in the Big 12 to get in the tournament is going to be a better NCAA seed than they are a Big 12 tournament seed. And that's just impossible. West Virginia, well, maybe not. You get the point. Top seven at least, because West Virginia probably ain't a top eight seed. West Virginia is an eighth. They're four and eight. And in ninth in the cellar, Tanner Groves, the Groves brothers, and Texas Tech, 2-10. and 10. Texas Tech's better than OU, right? Uh, who won the first matchup? Oklahoma beat them in overtime, but that was without Pop Isaacs. Probably Texas Tech. Yeah, I think Texas Tech will finish better. I think Oklahoma looks like the worst team in the conference. Other games, well... One of the highest ranked teams to lose this week, this is Deja Vu, just like we were telling you about in the last podcast. Number six, Tennessee lost on a buzzer beater. 
just like on Wednesday night at Vanderbilt, they were ahead by two in the final seconds and literally at the buzzer, lost on a crazy uh, game-winning shot. This time it was our friends to the east. Yay, Missouri! Who got a 35-foot game winner from DeAndre Golston to score an 86-85 upset win over the Volunteers. Probably, I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt, but the, the Tigers should be safely in the NCAA tournament now. That's their signature win. Missouri actually led this game by as many as 16 in the second half, then blew it entirely and uh, looked like they were dead in the water, trailed for the last several minutes, and then survived thanks to the Hail Mary. Nice win for them. Yeah, uh, the SEC race is about over as number three Alabama scored an impressive road win at Auburn, 77-69, to despite trailing most of what on the night on college game day. Uh, they're now 12-0 and in conference. Crimson Tide have a two-game lead on second place. Texas A&M, who rolled LSU on the road to claim second at 10-2. and uh, The Aggies are the only team within four games of the Crimson Tide. Last year, we saw the Aggies narrowly miss out on the NCAA tournament despite a great run uh, in, the NCAA, in, in the SEC tournament. Uh, yeah, that they're, they're going to be in pretty safely this year. But a team that might not be... The Kentucky Wildcats. Right when we thought they were turning a corner, they had won six out of seven. The only loss being a very good Kansas team. Kentucky goes 0-2 this week as favorites in both games. This time to a 14-10 Georgia team on the road. Uh, are they going to make this? I think so. Just barely. Like, Kentucky's scheduled this week, by the way. We're probably going to have a much better idea if they're going to make it after this week. Kentucky's scheduled this week at Mississippi State, an NCAA team, and Tennessee at home, who's obviously bleeding, but still a very good squad. That's going to tell you a lot, because they end the year at Arkansas, and that's tough. And no, I don't think this is an NCAA tournament team right now, which is amazing considering that roster. And uh, if they miss again, which would be their second time in three years missing the dance, and they would be going on four straight seasons without an NCAA tournament win. That's a fireable offense with Oscar Shibwe. Yeah, they had the National Player of the Year come back for another year, and they're this bad. Very, very disappointing year for the Wildcats. Uh, okay, let's talk about the funniest thing to happen. I need to get my laughter drop out because... <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you saw this. I didn't. Oh, you didn't! Okay, well, tell me about it, and I'll tell you what happened. Supposedly... Uh, Duke got boned by the refs, which turned into a surefire win into a loss for uh, at number eight, Virginia 62, 69 to 62 in overtime. Armand Franklin had 23 points for the Cavaliers. Uh, you didn't read the last part. I don't want to. Oh, it says, um, you, John Shire. So here's what happened. And I can't believe you haven't seen this because it's all everybody's talking about. I'll so pull it up. So Duke and Virginia are tied with two seconds left, and Duke's got the ball. And they run this, credit to John Shire, beautiful out-of-bounds play that gets Kyle Filipowski a layup, and he is just clobbered as he goes up. Just a huge foul. The ref signal foul. They signal two shots. Okay, he's going to go to the line with no time on the clock, and Duke, if he makes one, Duke wins the game and gets a big win for their NCAA hopes. Well, then the refs go to the monitors. And oh boy, here we go with the officials. So the refs rule that the, the shot itself was clean and the foul happened after the shot, which the backboard had already gone red. 
So therefore, the foul happened after the the regulation had ended, so no foul. Even though anybody with eyes could see Filipowski got clobbered on the shot. Yeah, I just watched with, it. Yeah, with two-tenths of a second left. Somehow, we go to a monitor where you cannot take away a foul. You can rule that it happened before or after the buzzer. But they took that, away the foul. Well, they ruled that the foul happened after the horn. So technically, yes, they did How take do away do the foul. It's it was an awful call. He got fouled like three times on the shot, and they take it away. I enjoy watching Duke get boned by the refs. I thought it was great. So I don't know. I'm I'm wondering how you can call a foul after the shot when the foul was the whistle was blown during the play. Well, it's such a bang. You don't just bang have a regular play. dead ball foul after a missed shot, do you? Yeah, exactly. Know. That's, that's, that's why it was. That's why it was weird because anybody watching that can tell it really doesn't look like that foul happens after the shot, and because it did, they ruled that that had happened after regulation had ended, and Virginia goes on to win in overtime. Good effort by the Blue Devils, who are still Is probably going to make in. the tournament. Yeah, they probably are, but the, I. They, I cannot think of what their best win is. They beat Ohio State in uh, de- December, and Ohio State's like, Ohio State is so bad that you wouldn't even believe it. Do you know what Ohio State's record in Big Ten games is? I don't, do I want to know? Ohio State is 3-10 and ten in Big Ten play. They've lost five in a row. They are terrible. Uh, I'm looking at yeah. Duke's page. I, I, I don't know what's here. They beat Iowa. Iowa's a quad one win. Ohio State doesn't count. Uh, they beat the champions classic event is looking real good after look, looking real good right now. I'm telling yeah. you North Carolina yeah. too. The blue bloods are just showing out this season. They look great. Yep. Noises. Yeah. North Carolina is one of Duke's best wins. They did beat Miami at home barely. And I guess they beat Pittsburgh. Who's been better than people thought they're probably in. They're probably like an eight seed right now. And they have a lot of talent, but I mean, Shire has never coached in the NCAA tournament before officials still after a brilliant day of college basketball the biggest thing that people are talking about around the country today and from a college basketball perspective the refs botched the end of the duke game and it's funny screw the blue devils and screw john shire that's hilarious that that happened but just unbelievable that they continue to get this wrong uh virginia pitt and number 19 miami are all atop the acc with 11 wins clemson who got clobbered at north carolina and number 22, North Carolina State, who clobbered Boston College. They're both in the race with 10 wins. Duke and North Carolina are barely above water. They're 8-6. and six. And Louisville is, um, well, you're wants to show Louisville update. They're 3-22. and 22. Though they did play Miami tough. They scored 85. Only problem is Miami scored 93. It's becoming increasingly clear that the second best team in the Big Ten is is number 18, Indiana. That conference is a joke. You talk about the ACC. Jeez. You just mentioned Ohio State. Michigan State's absolute dog water. Uh, Number 18, Indiana, though. A team Kansas absolutely murdered in December now in Fieldhouse. Scored a great road win at Michigan, 62-61, thanks to 28 from uh, Canadian, his own, Trace Jackson Davis. The Hoosiers are 9-5 and and leapfrogged a handful of other contenders, including number 24, Rutgers, uh, who lost at Illinois today for second place outright. Yeah, so I posted on Twitter that I was hesitant to give Trace Jackson Davis an All-American spot, like I have any say in it, but just my own opinion, uh, until I saw him bought against good teams, because we saw he just didn't play well at Allen Fieldhouse. A couple of Indiana's games early, and they had a really rough start to Big Ten play. Well, Trace Jackson Davis was a superstar against number one Purdue in that win. Then he takes him on the road at one of their big rivals in Michigan, and he scores 28. He is an All-American, and that win is going to look sexier and sexier for Kansas as we get later in the year. Indiana's very 
very talented. I don't want to see that team in Kansas's bracket. They have an excellent player, and that game would be much closer if they played again. Did I say he was Canadian? I don't know uh, why yeah. I said that. He's American. Is is he? Who's who's the Canadian guy you're thinking of? Is yeah, that the, Zach I'm there's a Canadian. Uh, as a Canadian, I think it might Zach be Zach Eadie's Canadian. Yep, that's who you're thinking of. Yeah, I was going to say, that that was a random factoid about Trace Jackson Davis that I didn't know about. Uh, yeah, but, Zach Eadie's from Toronto. Yeah, the All-American team right now is Zach Eadie, Trace Jackson Davis, and Jalen Wilson. That's easy. Brandon Miller from Alabama is probably on there as well. And then after that, Shrug. There's a couple guys from Arizona that are on there. Honestly, in the Big 12, guys like Adam Flagler should be in the conversation. Uh, I don't know how Texas, they don't really have anyone that, that fits the bill, but they're leading the best team right now. Drew Timmy will probably work his way on there for scoring 20 a night against the lousy teams of the WCC, but Jackson Davis absolutely is one of those uh, All-American spots. Well, my question when I was writing these notes as we talk about the Pac-12, number four, Arizona, and number seven, UCLA, get tough tests. Did they survive? The answer, no. Number four, Arizona lost at an under 500 Stanford team. The defense completely fell apart in that one. And as of recording this, it's almost halftime in Eugene, where number seven, UCLA, is currently down by six to Oregon. Tough road game there on that terrible court that they uh, have up there in, uh, in Oregon land. The Pac-12 has two teams in the top seven, and I'm just not sure how accurate that is. Kansas in a position where they should move up a few spots in the polls. Some teams in front of them took L's this week. Yeah, and uh, moving on to the Big East, which is crazy, almost as crazy as the Big 12. Creighton, number 23, beat number 21 UConn at home while St. P- John's upset number 20 Providence. First place, number 10, Marquette, did in fact beat Georgetown. <laughs> Thank goodness they beat the team who's won one conference game in the past century. Uh, I think Golden it's two Eagles now, isn't first it? Place. Yeah, look. it's two years. Oh, no, they have two. They have one win. They have one win this season. Oh, I thought they got a second. Darn it, Georgetown. Nope. Darn it. Uh, the, the Golden Eagles are in first place while everyone else is in a log jam behind them. Uh, fill in the blank. The Big East is a top blank league in the country. And if your answer is below three, you are not watching college basketball. I think it's two, isn't it? Like yeah, I, it I, to be. the Big Ten's I, not good. The ACC is not very good. The SEC is pretty much just Alabama. Pac-12, see, like you said, isn't very good either. I think I think this is by far and away the second best conference in the nation. See, okay, from top to bottom, yes, it is, but it's tough because like. Are you putting Alabama and Alabama's better than any team in the Big East by a considerable margin? Same with Purdue. Like, and I think the Big Ten has the best. If you combine those two leagues, I think the Big Ten has the best two teams. I think Indiana and Purdue are both better than anybody in the Big East. But then the Big East has the next like six. And I don't know if that makes them a better league. From top to bottom. Better conference, though. Like, for, so you're everyone the entire way to the conference. Yes, I think they're sorry. Teams. Sorry, no, my real answer is West Coast Conference because oh, that correct. is the best league in the country. They right. prove that those grocery store sackers can really play basketball. Um, and uh, stupid St. Mary's, uh, speaking of grocery sackers, number 15 St. Mary's was up 16 to zero and lost at Loyola Marymount, Yay. whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> the other night, uh, even though they bounced back by beating Portland. Portland, not the Portland Trailblazers, the Portland Pilots, <laughs> on the road. Their lead in the West Coast Conference is down to just one game. They're going to have to win it in Spokane and two weeks in Gonzaga streak of conference titles. You better be hoping for another DUI from from uh, Mark Few if you want that to happen. 
Yeah, Gonzaga's in a tough game right now with BYU, but we all know how that's going to end up. Uh, St. Mary's is good. They're real good. It's tough to win conference which is whenever you're the, the hunted and you're not used to being the hunted. Well, they found that out because, boy, did they gag one away to Loyola Marymount the other night, as you said. Um, and, yeah, Gonzaga's been in this spot. They have a player that's been there many times. No doubt in my mind, Gonzaga winds up winning that league, at least a share of it. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a couple losses from St. Mary's down the stretch and Gonzaga takes it outright because that's usually how dominant teams and conferences compete against teams that haven't been in that spot do. Um, I'm still thinking about the Big East. Yeah, I think the Big East is two. I think the second, I think the other two options that would be in there, the Pac-12's not there. I know you're, I think you're a little hard on the Big Ten uh, just because Indiana getting better makes it so much better. But I think the SEC is probably the third best league after the Big East, then the Big Ten. Um, but yeah, it's not filled with, with great options. The Big 12 makes them all look like a, uh, like child's play by comparison. Ranked teams to lose since the last show. Number four, Arizona, the highest ranked team to lose. Blew an early lead. They lost to the Nerds in Stanford. Yeah, uh, and then uh, number six, Tennessee, lost for the second time this week on a buzzer-beating shot to our friends from the East Missouri. We are they're not really our friends, obviously, but I like that song. Number 11, Iowa State. You didn't think we'd get too deep into this without reading off your weekly dose of Big 12 teams that lost. Number 11, Iowa State. Lost to the Pokes at home, who are suddenly making a lot of noise. Number 12, Kansas State. Lost again, this time to Texas Tech. Yeah. <laughs> Emaw, bitches. Number 17, TCU. Feels like they've been on this list a lot recently. They lost to Scott Drew's Bears at home. Number 20, Providence lost to St. John's. Number 21, UConn lost to Creighton. And number 24, Rutgers lost to Illinois. And Nick, you lost to us and pick them again. Why did you pick I'm against... I'm 20 games back. 21 now. Why did you pick K-State? Like, come on. We told you not to do that. Did Landon pick Texas Tech? Yep, he did. Landon's been pretty good picking games. We're entering mid-February, and he's got a four-game lead on me and a big lead on you. So we'll see if he can actually close yeah, it down. I won last year. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you did. You ended up uh, stealing one there at the end. Very, very nice. Just like uh, just like Kansas does most of the years. Let's see if they can do it again. All right, ask RCB. So I'll read the questions since you don't have the Twitter um, and I know I've given you a lot of crap on this subject, but I actually have a serious question about it. At Ryan underscore Landreth, if Nick had to get a tattoo, which I think he'd rather cut off his leg than get one, but if he had to get one, uh, what would it be? It would uh, be a cross or a Bible verse, probably. Okay, I like that. Uh, would it be the quote whenever Jesus said, F the Baylor Bears in year three? I would get that right there, a tramp stamp, you know, just... Uh... No, I'm thinking something probably in, in Proverbs or James or, or uh, Timothy. Much, much more respected answer. Um, how much money, and you're not, you're you're a smart guy. You're going to make a lot of money in your career because you're in MBA school and you know your stuff. So it probably doesn't ma have it like as, as much value to you as it could if I asked other people this. But if I, how much money would you have to just randomly, like I'm not paying you. It just appears in your bank account to get a, like a a glass of drinking water shaped size bill self face on your butt uh oh my gosh <laughs> probably if it's on my butt and not visible to anyone else correct uh probably like a good 
$10,000. Oh, that's it? That's a lot less? I don't think I would do that for $10,000. I would not. It, it, it's a, it's a jo- it'd be a laugh, though. It'd be a, it would be a fun joke between you and your wife. That's for sure. Damn it, Bill! Well, I, I, knowing my wife, uh, there would be nothing funny uh, in her eyes if I walked home with Damn it, Bill. tattooed on my butt. Um, but I, hey, ten grand. I feel like that. I, at some point in my lifetime, that's a I lot may, of money. It is a lot of money. Yeah, I may have to to figure out like a Kickstarter or something to get a to get you to do it. I don't think Landon would do it for ten grand. And Landon's way way that and that that might be a little grand. low. Like if you if you're if you're actually in the I'm in the tattoo parlor. Yeah, uh, exactly. That might actually. And my, my my sentiment might be different, but I, I guarantee you I would do it for for fifty thousand dollars cash. Okay, now that sounds a little bit better. I was gonna say ten grand may not feel as heavy in your wallet if they tap that gun on your back with that that's loaded with a blank to see if you can take the pain first and it starts stroking on your backside and you're like, Oh man. Okay, the hot take tattoos I don't think hurt as bad as people make it sound, but it's the repetitiveness of them. They're just What is your tattoo of? Uh, if I had to get one, uh, well, if I had to get one, it would clearly be. Well, you just said you just said tattoos aren't that painful, so I'm assuming you already have one. Oh yeah, I have lots of them. I'm not. I'm, I have so many of them. I'm not even gonna tell you about it. I have a tattoo of Kyle Filipowski getting getting hammered with no foul, which they just showed on ESPN, because mm. I want that injected. You have right the whopper, my whopper, whopper ad on your your uh, butt too. Okay, that's a good question. Would you rather have uh, a face of Bill Self or whopper, 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 whopper tattooed on you? Ugh, probably the Whopper, just because I don't want another <laughs> grown man's face on my genitals. <laughs> I didn't say you had to get it there. I said you had to get it somewhere. Oh, oh, you said butt. You said it was a glass size over your butt. Your butt's not your genitals. Yeah, it is. Technically, it is. Private parts. And on your backside? I don't even know. You can have your butt out on the beach. I don't even know if that counts. Uh, yes, if I had to get a tattoo, it would probably be something space-related just because space is so cool. Uh, I would not make it sports-related just because, no. So I, I can't get that obsessed with sports. At KU Tweets and News, why does our great coach, our GOAT coach, hate playing freshman bigs in the non-con? Yeah, because he is... Damn it, Bill! And he is here to remind you that he has, an, he has two rings, but he would rather give both of them away than play Ernest than non-conference play. We were kind of talking about that. Like, we all acknowledge that was stupid at the time, right? Uh-huh. Uh, also, from KU Tweets and News, do the IT guy, uh, do the ITP guys have a go-to KU quarter zip? That feels like something you would get and wear on the golf course. I do. I do have a go-to KU quarter zip. Uh, it is very dangerous. There's a place called Weaver's in downtown Lawrence on Mass Street. They sell Peter Millar. I, if, I don't, I'm sure you're not familiar, but Peter Millar is the highest quality brand of yeah. KU quarter or just they, quarter zips, they college made the quarter, quarter zips, zips for the golf quarter staff. zips in general. Uh, no, I think they were Adidas. They're required to wear Adidas. Uh, but uh, those they sell those Peter Millars. Uh, take a take a gander how much a Peter Millar KU branded quarter zip costs. Oh, they're like 150 bucks. I almost ordered yeah. one from their website. Uh, do you have yeah, the navy one? I paid 150. One? I have the. Uh, I don't have a navy one. I have a light blue, kind of in the light blue shade of the 1912 Jayhawk. It has the 1912 sexy like Jayhawk on it. It I is know what you're striped about. light blue. Yeah. So it, but it kind of looks just overall. If you look at it, kind of just looks like a light blue. Um, but it is. It looks very, very good. 
I spent a lot of time thinking about buying those on the Peter Millar website. Oh, you should have. That. You should yeah, have. Yeah, but they're just so expensive. I can't $150 on on a Kansas Zippa. I'm with you. If they would just take the the ones that the coaching staff wears and put them for sale on the Adidas website, they'd sell way more of those than they do those crappy camouflage jerseys they yeah, list. Yeah, the ones they do sell are terrible. Yeah, it's frustrating. And they're always number one and there's no name and all that. Yeah, it's it's a joke. I need to get one though. Glad glad Nick has one to save the question. At KU Tweets and News. Long debated question. Good time we give it an answer. How many points in the final score would you generally say Allen Fieldhouse is worth? I would say five. Five feels too low and ten feels too high. In general, if you look at the betting lines, and this is true across sports, in the NFL, in college basketball, in the NBA, home court advantage is becoming less and less of a thing as time goes along. About 15 years ago in the NFL betting market, home field was worth about four points. You could have a game between two even teams that would be a neutral sight line of zero. It would be a pick em, and you move it to either side's home field, and it'd be worth about four points. Well, in the early 2010s, that moved to about three, and now you see it only be about two. The Bills came into Arrowhead earlier this year and were a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago, even with those exact same teams. The Chiefs were only at one in the in the uh, AFC Championship game, and they would have been about minus, or they would have been about plus three in Cincinnati or so. So, yeah, about two points for every, every time you move the game. Allen Fieldhouse, I don't know. I would say it's worth about six to eight points. In the in those in that Texas game, they won by eight. That felt like a 50-50 game if you play it on a neutral site, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's worth about eight points. I think that's probably about right. Some games it's twelve, some games it's four, but it's always a plus, and it's a big plus. At All Heart Casey, if you could pick the best musician in the world on one instrument, oh, oh, sorry, if you could be the best musician in the world on one instrument, what would you pick? Ooh, man probably uh man uh people really love pianists guitar players or saxophone players i would say guitar not electric like acoustic i'm not really like a heavy metal or rock person but a good acoustic guitar player i've always wanted to learn how to play guitar i haven't but uh that seems like it always women would enjoy someone who can play a guitar so i'd probably say guitar player I think you have the right three answers. The The ability to play Flight of the Bumblebee on the piano would be really fun. The ability to play Eruption by Eddie Van Halen on your guitar would be really fun. And the ability to be Kenny G and just shred a saxophone would be really fun. Uh, and you're telling me then whenever, you, uh, whenever you're out on a date, you could actually play her the sexy sax that we listen to on this show. Like you could go all Kenny G and blow her mind. Uh, I think the answer is the electric guitar. That's just the coolest. That's so creative. You can do anything with an electric guitar and a piano too. Those would be the two answers. Good question, Casey. At Dick underscore Taser. Good questions this week, guys. Big Super Bowl party or watching the game with just a few people who are going to focus? I'm going, probably a mix of both because I think I'll be in Kansas City at my cousin's. So uh, it'll it'll be a uh, rabid Chiefs fans, but kind of, you know, a laid back you know, party. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I always watch the Super Bowls with my dad, every single one of them chiefs in it. Chiefs not in it. Regardless. I've watched with my dad whenever I lived at home. And ever since, since I don't, I still managed to go over there. This year is our first year in our new house and we got the big TV this time. So everybody's coming over here. 
I have to watch it with people who are set on the game, though. I can't have casual talk about how, how's cousin so-and-so doing out in Virginia in the middle of a fourth quarter of it? No, we're not doing that. Only people are coming into my house, and we have a couple more than normal this year. We have seven or eight people coming in. My wife always, so nurses really work a self-scheduling system where they pick their shifts. My wife always intentionally schedules herself the night of the Super Bowl. Three Super Bowls in four years. I haven't watched one with my wife. She's been at work all three years. Uh, that the Chiefs have been in it on purpose because she said it's the easiest night of the year to be a nurse because everybody's watching the game. Nobody calls for their nurse. Then right after the game ends, everybody needs their medicine or everybody has has questions. But like a third of the overnight shift is so easy. She said everybody just kind of sits around and watches the game on their iPads because everyone's she's busy. Not gonna, so. She's not going to be there when you're hosting this year though? I mean, no, she doesn't care about football. She'll watch college basketball with me. She makes sure to, to schedule herself off for the NCAA tournament first couple days because that's a big one. But I've never really been able to get her into football, and she takes advantage of it because uh, it's one of the hardest days to staff at work on the year. So they, they make a little bit of extra money too when they do it. I got to watch it with people who, if the Chiefs weren't in it, I could be a little more casual. But if the Chiefs are in it, I've got to be able to focus on the game. I'm going to be a nervous wreck during that game. And I've been better this year at not being super emotionally invested in sports. But with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, nah, I'm going to be a wreck. At I Got So Cole, which characters from The Office would each Big 12 coach be? Oh my gosh, what a question. I mean, Bill Self is obviously uh, Jim Bill Halpert. Bill Self's Jim. He's, yeah, yep. he's calm Bill and Self steady. is Jim Halpert. Yep. Uh, I believe that... Uh, Scott okay, Drew so is Dwight. Scott Drew is Scott Dwight. Drew he's is a Dwight. nerd yeah. that's a goody two-shoes, but he's really good at his job. Um, Yes. Uh, who would uh, Ed Helms be? Sorry, what's I forgetting Andy. Who is Andy? Oh, Andy kind of like seems Andy... like Porter Mosier. He's kind of a wacko, yeah. but he keeps falling into jobs he's definitely not qualified for. Uh, his theatrics that's may make him one. Jerome Tang. Jerome Tang, I don't know if he has a good office comp. Is there a really calm and steady person in the office outside of Jim? Am I, yeah. Stanley really Hudson, hasn't. maybe? I Stanley Hudson is Bob Huggins, and that's a match made in heaven. Like, they both have sucky <laughs> yes. hearts, and they both just take naps all the time and, and are grouchy at all times. Um, Ryan, Ryan could be Scott Drew as well because he was kind of shady and got involved with some not super, he kind of cheating a little bit with the under the radar stuff. Uh, if I guess Chris that, Beard was still around, Chris Beard would definitely be Ryan. Yep. That's a very good call. And then he even grew the beard like Chris Beard had at his shadiest point. That's a good call. Um, I might say Mark, Mark Adams though for, for Ryan. Okay. That's fair. Cause he kind of has some, some under the radar stuff. Uh, Rodney, TJ Altsaberger is probably... Not really for the the type of personality comp, but probably uh, Pam's ex husband or ex Roy. He is like Roy. Roy. He's like all serious about getting in shape and everything. That's funny. He gets real angry. I like that. I feel like uh, I feel like Rodney Terry of Texas is probably Toby. He's just so like not animated. Never gets never gets that riled up. He's just kind of go with the flow. Uh, who is Jamie Dixon? Uh, I don't know Jamie Dixon, but uh, Oklahoma State's coach. Um, I believe that he is probably a lot like, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? I, I am forgetting names tonight. Uh, the guy in the, the where Dar- Daryl, Daryl, okay. not because of race. Oh, that's you just racist because of the bastard. overall personality. Oh, that's why you said he's Daryl. No, I'm just kidding. I know he well, is. I just don't want to draw that. Cause earlier, earlier I said that, that you'd make the comp for Stanley Hudson with, um, 
who did I say you make the compass? Oh, uh, yeah, Jerome Tang. So I'm not. This is just purely <laughs> off of looks and race. No, Jerome I'm Tang could not be less. Could not be less like uh, Stanley Hudson. The only way that they are the same is that they're black. Um, Jamie Dixon can be Oscar. He's kind of quirky and gets real animated sometimes, and is quietly pretty productive, but is never really viewed as one of the superstars of the show. I feel like we did a good job there. I feel like we crushed that. Like that was that was a very Landon would be so sad that he missed that. Uh, that's okay. He can did we get all of them? We I get all we the did. coaches? Yeah, we got all of them. I'm looking at all the pennants now. We got all the all the coaches. That's good. Nice work. Nice. Um, at D-Mask Holdings, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, and yeah, next year is going to be their final year in the Big 12, can you assemble your dream conference for Kansas? What teams are you choosing? Oh, boy. I still say Gonzaga. I want them in this Big 12. I just missed the Big 8. I missed the geographic priority. Yep. Yeah, Missouri's got to be in the conference. Uh, Colorado. Now, Kansas was... had four rivalries. Kansas was had a pseudo rivalry with Colorado. Definitely a rivalry with Nebraska. Kansas State, obviously, still Missouri as well. I mean, like those were all rivalry games. Yep. And now that's not even counting Iowa State, who's turned into one of their bigger rivals. Um, and then, I mean, we've seen Kansas and Baylor play some really good good games, and they were obviously one of the additions to 12 and 97. Yeah, I'm with you. I loved the geographic proximity of the Big 8 and even the Big 12, and now it's just all over the place. Um, it would be fun to have some of the Pac-12 teams in here as well, teams like Arizona that have really good home court environments that travel pretty well. Love to see someone like that in my hypothetical conference. Last two questions. At Elliot Rusin H, this is what we expected from Uday at the start of the year, right? Uh, also, are we proud of Bill for trusting a freshman big? Yes, is our answer. Uh, he should have been trusting him earlier because he was trustworthy months ago. Um, and another one from Elliot. Non-basketball, ask RCB. If you received a large sum of money and had to buy a professional sports team, so you can buy any team you want, who is it? Um, Not NBA. I would not have an NBA team. No. Um, seems kind of boring. Uh, I would probably buy uh, NFL team. Why would it not be the Chiefs with the best player in the world, and they're just oh, you can you can buy any of the any of the franchises. Yeah, I think that's how it works, isn't it? You could buy any professional sports. Yeah, by the Chiefs. Clark Hunt's a kind of a weirdo, and his oh, wife Hunt's, looks like a doll. So Clark Hunt's a great owner too. Clark Hunt went up. He's there. a good owner. He's a good owner, and I like what he says, but. I don't he know. just stays the, the out of the GHA way. The GHA field was funny. He lets Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes cook and just stays out of the way. You got That's Jerry fair. Jones and Dallas he's not, that answer he's questions. Not like he's not Dan Schneider by team. any means. Correct, yes. And then you have owners like that. Uh, no, I or think Jerry that Jones. from a profitable perspective, it's the Dallas Cowboys. They're the most valuable franchise in sports. But just for Ugh, fun. Those fans, though, gross. Well, they're everywhere. Their brand is everywhere. Uh, they just can't get to an NFC Championship game. But yes, I agree. If I could, if I had to pick a team to own or could buy anyone I wanted, it's the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a rapidly growing brand. They're on a short list of what t- the teams the NFL wants to play internationally now because they're such a success. Uh, yes, I absolutely want the Chiefs. They're a financial juggernaut, and they're obviously really, really good at winning games. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, they'll have picked up one more really big win. Good round of questions today. If you ever have any Ask RCBs, reply to the tweet. Nice work. All right, from one Oklahoma team to another, number nine, Kansas at Oklahoma State. The rankings are going to shift. Kansas probably moves up to six or seven. Uh, On Valentine's Day, folks, don't watch this game. Take your wives out somewhere nice. If you catch the second half when you get home, great. But prioritize your loves here on this day. You're going to need it more, and you're going to need this Kansas game at 8 o'clock p.m. on a Tuesday night. Or if you're single like me, 
Just watch the game. Enter the <laughs> Oklahoma State Cowboys, who have been at, as hot as anyone in the Big 12 as of late. They're a steamy 15 and 9 overall. 16 and, and 9. I love see, making uh, 6 and 5. 7 in and 5. 7 and 5. That after the nice. Iowa Good job updating here. that. That's, That's why, why the exclamation marks are there. Uh, in conference play, they narrowly missed out on road wins at Kansas and Kansas State, so they could even be better than that. Caleb Boone has emerged as one of the best bigs in the Big 12. He leads the Cowboys with 12 points and 5 rebounds on better than 60% from the floor. 7-footer Musa Cisse is an elite shot blocker that adds 7 points and 8 rebounds per game. He's a force, and when he plays, they win. We said this earlier, eight games he's played in the Big 12, they've won seven of them, and the loss narrowly at Allen Fieldhouse. The backcourt is led by a former Jayhawk, Bryce Thompson. You may have heard of him, especially after he made seven threes at Allen Fieldhouse. He hasn't done that yet. Ryan or, said was not very good on Twitter, and he's been kind of good lately. Yeah, he's been kind of good. He's fine. Third year for, and I know that recruiting rankings are not the end all, but he is a five-star player. This is his third year. He should be good. Good for him. Uh, he hasn't made seven threes in any of the other games, but he is shooting uh, 39% on threes, which is very good. He adds 11 points per game. Avery Anderson the third is the point guard, but he's missed the last three. He's not going to play in this game. He had wrist surgery just a couple of weeks ago. And John Michael Wright and Casey Asbury, yes, his name is Asbury, are the other wings that shoot a healthy percentage from three. So even playing a little shorthanded, the Cowboys still have a good, uh, good complement guard team that uh, supports uh, Bryce Thompson. What bodes well for Kansas is that Oklahoma State has been a mediocre offensive team this year. They average less than 70 points per game, and they shoot just 32% as a team from three, which is outside the top 275 in the country. All their strengths come on the defensive side of the basketball. They rebound well, excellent defending the paint, anchored by Cissé uh, and its elite blocking rate. They're also very good at guarding the three-point line, holding opponents under 30% on three-point shots this year. Checkmate, Kansas doesn't need opponents to play defense to hold them under 30% on threes. They'll do it anyways. <laughs> very, very true. Prepare for another ugly Big 12 game. Yeah, Oklahoma State is a mystery because if you look at their ranks on college basketball reference and you look at their team statistics, I would say if I didn't know better, Oklahoma stats look like a better team than Oklahoma State's. Oklahoma is better at more categories than Oklahoma State is. It's proof that coaching is everything in college basketball. We've seen Mike Boynton a couple times. He's entered a season on the hot seat, and his team has overachieved. We haven't seen that from Oklahoma, hence why they've regressed. Oklahoma State uh, has been much better than they should be this year. 7-5 and five with, with six wins in their last seven league games. Very, very impressive. But this is the biggest test of any of those. With a win on Tuesday, Bill Self would be back at 500 in Gallagher-Iba games for the first time in his tenure. Kansas is 7-8 and eight against the Cowboys in Stillwater under Self, but they've been very good recently. Uh, starting with the Big 12 tournament game in 2018, they have won nine of the last 10 games against the Cowboys in the series, and even the loss was kind of, they really should have won that game. They were winning with a minute left. This is going to be a battle. However, Kansas is the better team. Do you think they win? Uh, no. I, I, I got to stick with it. I said last show that I think they're going to pick them to lose. I do think that they that the trajectory, at least, I like to look at the how they're lining up these teams. Kansas on a two-game win streak. I think the Cowboys are due to have a little bit of a regression back to where they are. I don't think they're as good of a team as a 7-5 and five record in conference play uh, would, would suggest they are. But I do just think this environment, Kansas has been pretty poor on the road in the Big 12. 
They were able to beat West Virginia, and they were able to beat Oklahoma, the two worst teams in the conference. They have not been as well against the teams who are better in the conference slate. So I do think that this game is probably going to end up in a the loss column, but I wouldn't be surprised if KU gets to their third consecutive win, especially the way that Dewan Harris has been playing in the emergence of Ernest Uday. But uh, I'm going to pick Oklahoma State in a nasty one, 68-65. to Pretty similar game to what Landon has, just flip the teams that win. Kansas ha or Landon has Kansas winning, shocking, 67-63. to 63. Uh, I'm going to say that one of these teams scores 70, unlike you two. I don't think the defense is going to be that good. And I think Kansas is going to win. I think the Jayhawks are entering a stretch where they start to play better than these middle-of-the-pack Big 12 teams. We just talked about how this week has been all about the cream of the crop rising to the top of the Big 12, and I think you see that continue here. Kansas, if they lose, Oklahoma State's right in the thick of the conference race, which is amazing considering how they started 1-4. and four. But I think Kansas is going to win, which would effectively eliminate the Cowboys from the race. I just think Kansas is more talented. Oklahoma State's going to drag it into the mud, and it's going to be a very unesthetically pleasing game to watch. Uh, but I think that Kansas has the most, I think Kansas has the best three players, probably. I think Wilson, Harris, and Dick are better than anybody the Cowboys have. Historically, this has never been a daunting environment. They just haven't played well in the building. Uh, but I think Kansas wins. I don't think that there's any reason from what we've seen the last two weeks where we would have reason to pick them to lose this game against a team that they're much more talented than. Kansas, 70. Oklahoma State, 61. The Jayhawks win for their third straight year in Stillwater. And wait, is that right? No, it'd be the second straight year in Stillwater because they lost in 21. They win for the fourth time at five Stillwater games. Boy, would that be impressive. We'll see if it happens. And they need this one to keep pace with Texas. Who knows what's going to happen, but Kansas could be playing for first place should Texas Tech give them some help. Other games in the Big 12. Rankings are going to shift, but for now, this is what we've got. Number five, Texas at Texas Tech. The Red Raiders have beaten two straight top 15 teams at home. Can they make it a third? No. I think they do. I think Texas is due to lose a couple of these. I think Texas Tech is due for some positive regression. That environment is going to be venomous. Not as much as if Chris Beard was there, but those fans hate Texas. And I think they show up similar to KU at K-State vibes. I think Texas Tech, who should have won the first game this year in Austin, I think they take down the Longhorns and prove that they are definitely not the worst team in the Big 12. West Virginia at number 14. Baylor, what happens in Waco? I think the Bears hold serve at home. I think it's close. West Virginia is going to play better than they did today, and historically, they've always played pretty well in Waco. But yes, I think the Bears win a close one. Number 12, Kansas State at Oklahoma. Wildcats are free-falling a bit. This may be as much of a bye game as they get, but still, they got to go at Oklahoma, a team who's due to win a Big 12 game. I say they lose again. They, they get off the schneid. Okay. Oklahoma, right. uh, Kansas State. I don't think Oklahoma's very good, but I just think the Big 12 is so tough. This is a quad one road win for K-State if they get it, and I don't think they do. I think they fall back a little more. Number 17, TCU at number 11, Iowa State. Uh, Hilton is a tough place for the for the uh, to envision the Cyclones losing two in a row, but can TCU lose them all? I'm going to pick TCU. Ooh, interesting. I can't pick TCU until I see Mike Miles be back. Kansas plays them in just nine days, so it would be great if he could stay out till after that. But until he comes back, I can't pick them. I think they lose again. Other games. Number 19, Miami at North Carolina. Who wins this battle in the ACC? Miami. I'll go UNC at home. I'll throw them a bone. Number 23, Creighton at number 20, Providence. I'm all in on the Blue Jays. They win on the road. 
Providence. Number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. Two teams going in opposite directions. Who wins this? This is a very good game. Tennessee. I agree. They, they, they have been on the wrong end of two unlucky losses. And Alabama, it's back-to-back road games. No shame in losing here, but they can't win them all. Number 13, Xavier at number 10, Marquette. I am all in on the Golden Eagles. Give me Shakas. Yes. And number 18, Indiana at Northwestern. I will go with Northwestern to win this game. Just too much to ask Indiana to keep winning tough road games. Hoosiers. Next show is probably not going to be for a while. You probably get a little break from inside the paint. And the next game is going to be a Saturday college game day game at Allen Fieldhouse. It's going to be a tough week. Kansas' next three games at Oklahoma State. Baylor at home. At TCU. Yeah, Just brutal. Freaking brutal stretch for the Jayhawks. But we'll see what happens. It's what makes it fun. This is Inside the Paint. I'm Ryan Landreth. And I am Nick Wipert. Nick, thank you for giving up your time on a Super Bowl weekend to watch the uh, Chiefs. And you're giving up a little time to do this podcast. Landon, have a safe trip home from Michigan up there seeing a uh, friend get married. Hopefully, we're watching Patrick Mahomes marry his second Lombardi trophy tomorrow night. Go Jayhawks. Chiefs. Go both of them. Bye, Landon.